I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson for the recap of the last mountain stage of the Tour de France, Stage 18. This show is supported by Lacole. They produce performance cycling apparel. Thanks for all your well wishes yesterday, especially all the memes looking like the mummy right now which is pretty hilarious but um <laughs> the show must go on uh short stage 130 k's finishing on Ludwig and Tomale first 17 k 7.5 percent the intermediate sprint was before then after a 2k 7 percent climb descend off, off Tomale quite an attractive descent and then they do lose out of den 13.5 k 7.5 percent Armstrong had the record I think at like 35 30 uh, before today and the question was GC or break polls polka dot jersey, jersey ambitions would they be destroyed by the uh, GC contender and uh, yeah we had a, a few weird antics at the start of the stage Benji with uh, the break in Bahrain. Yeah certainly we had a, a tiny breakaway go away early on that included the likes of uh, Yul Jensen, a Bennett, Mohoric, Perichon and Alaphilippe so the Koenig rider up front, probably to try and take as many points as possible away from Matthews if he potentially gets those points. We know that that intermediate sprint that you spoke about is after a climb, so they can put pressure there. And that played into it because this five-man breakaway was ahead like 130 or something. And then the Bahrain and Beck's stuff happened. So Bahrain at that point had... One rider off the back in the peloton, their GC rider, Bilbao, behind. They came to the front in the peloton. They were pacing there with three riders for Cobrelli in fourth position, I'm guessing, and Pools also right there. So either to try and put pressure on a Cavendish tree, still gets green points, or to do something for Pools for KOM. But then you have Mohoric still pacing in the breakaway, and it took a while until Mohoric stopped pacing there, and Julianson stopped pacing there as well, because Matthews was obviously interested in the intermediate sprint. So a bit of odd antics, like you mentioned. And what do you think was the incentive for it? Because it's hard to figure out. I mean, I guess Bahrain did the, made the calculation that um, they had to have pulls in the break to actually, for him to keep the polka dot jersey because he'd need to take points at the finish. He'd need to take max points on Tourmalet. He, you know, even if the break doesn't win, say he can then slot into the GC group and come fifth or something. Maybe that's what they were thinking. I don't know. Um, it was a little bit dis- disjointed, especially maybe the Benji a lot of jokes about they'd run out of sleep or they were tired after the police raid last night. I mean, that police raid, just quickly, I don't think we need to do a separate segment on it. I mean, Benji and I followed the Archaea Quintana police raid, which came to absolutely nothing. Um and they even thought they found things then. I think apparently it's the same prosecutor for Bahrain. They took training files. Don't know why they have, like, the right to take training files, I guess, because it's not a prohibited substance or method or anything like that. I guess it could have GPX data, which shows a whereabouts violation, but that's not a criminal issue, I don't think, um, or a wider issue. So, yeah, we'll wait to see with the Bahrain stuff. Bahrain don't seem too phased, and they don't seem to have found anything. But, yeah, 
That was the uh, the memes running on Twitter. But Yul Jensen, unlike the other day, he actually sat up. He was there as a satellite for that bike exchange for that intermediate sprint. And bike exchange, I think they tried the right thing, Benji. Yep. They tried to maximize that 6% climb. They smashed it with Durbridge and Matthews. They then had Yul Jensen at the top to then pace in the valley. The problem is they couldn't really shake Quickstep and Cavendish. And, uh, yeah, we saw Cav moving up, and, and that was pretty much the green jersey competition to bed, Benji. Yes, certainly. And after that intermediate sprint, that eventually was uh, indeed safe for Cavendish. We had some more attacks, and that's where I think Istana was the first one to slice it open with Freyla going into the attack and so forth, but also a two-man attack of Trek, including Steven and Elisonde. Steven was basically doing a lead-out before the Tourmalet started for Elisonde. He was able to get away there. You've got the likes of... Latour as well attacking to get away Elisonde, who was caught again just beforehand. So a lot of the French riders trying to get away early on. And then a proper move happened. We saw Madua go early from the uh, elite group at the start of the Tourmalet with about, I think, 13k to climb or something. Started hammering it and really put a proper dent into the time of that second group and closed the gap towards the group of Elisonde and so forth. Ended up dropping Elisonde. And the second that I saw Madua move, I knew, yeah, this is a setup. Like, Godou's going to attack on the Tourmalet at some point. I didn't know where, of course. And he actually didn't launch the attack. It was an attack launched by other people where he just attached himself on to. Freilo went again, and he sat in that wheel, and he actually went away together with them. I think Quintana went as well. And Lopez, Lopez didn't really look too okay today. He attacked and then got caught and then eventually dropped. So, yeah, not the best day for Miguel Angel Lopez and not the best Tour de France as well. But, um, yeah, a lot of riders across the road. Godou trying to get to the front as much as possible. Because of Macron. still there. What, sorry? It's because Macron, we saw at the same time, he went into the car with Prudhomme. And so the minute he got into the car, all the DS got on the radios and said to their best climber on each French team, on the break right now it legit <laughs> happened at the same time i swear to god yeah i think that quintana was different i think quintana's for the k1 points <laughs> and we saw uh, an imminent reaction of people that were also interested in the k1 points there as well but yeah a lot of those attacks and eventually it led towards well godu being the front of the race at a certain point and the peloton group started seeing action because we saw that ineos was taking the four while all this was happening at the front Nothing dangerous for them, but the gap was down to like, what, 45 seconds? Yeah, it kept it really tight on Tourmalet, and that was the problem for Godou. They they didn't get any leash, and it's the problem with this shorter stage. You only need to spend one or two domestiques on that first climb. It's not like you're going to have to spend 150Ks all day keeping it in check. So Godou was stuffed pretty much, uh, but at least he was out in front. Maybe he'll get the competitivity prize on the descent. He did. Did he? Okay, well, there you go. He did. He'd win that. Uh, descent, again, they kept it pretty tight, actually. I thought that usually the Peloton might give it back to the front guy who's taking more risks. He kept it tight, and so we knew it was going to be GC day. And, yeah, basically everyone got caught <laughs> from the breakaway group. Alaphilippe tried today. He rode sensibly. I thought he just didn't have the legs today. And, um, yeah, as Ineos pacing, they Port and Thomas had dropped on Tourmalet the first climb. So they, they had Dylan van Baler. Uh, Kwiatkowski, Tao Gegenhardt, Castroviejo, Carapaz was the train, uh, which is, yeah, you're missing Thomas and Port, the riders you'd expect. But they the way Ineos seemed to pace Benji was almost a fake pace. It wasn't dropping Valverde and Buchmann. 
it was barely dropping Luchenko. And Valverde's kind of been the acid test, I think, this tour of whether the pace is super hot on the climbs. So how, A, first question, why are Ineos pacing? Second question, how can they actually win the stage against someone like Pogaccio or Jonas, who's probably a better pure climber than Carapaz right now? So looking at the team there, we had Vambala as one of the early riders that was setting the pace for them. That was a fake pace, or that was at least a Vambala pace because Vambala is a decent climber, but he's not a top climber. So he's not going to put too much trouble into the people in that group. You know that once he's at the front, then it's going to reduce the people that are not necessarily the GC people. A few domestiques might drop, but none of the elite group will actually get into much trouble there, except if your name is Rigoberto Uran, because, um, yeah, F in the chat. And accordingly, I think that the next few riders are putting a harder pace. And today we did see that, I think, like when, who was that rider? Kwiatkowski, when he went to the front, the last part of his pull was actually quite a decent pull and put some people in trouble. A Gagan harder into the front, his tempo was also decent, but I think that these pulls were not necessarily fake pulls of those two riders. It was more that I don't think that Gagan Hart could have done too much more. His Tour de France has not been on an extreme level, and I actually doubt whether he could do too much more. Why are they pacing? Well, I think they indeed want to win the stage win, uh, want to win the stage. And Next to that, if you can put a little bit of pressure on Vingegaard, you might as well try because after today, it's a sprint stage and then a time trial and another sprint stage. So this is where you can literally use your entire team without any consequences for the rest of the race. So I think that the least they could do is try something. They tried it with their old school pacing tempo. Okay. The least what they could do is let Kvyatkovsky and Castroviejo go on the break today and not pace. Well, I, I agree, but like we're basing it off the fact that they were all in the peloton here. Like, yeah, yeah, I, no, no, I, I wanted Cuiato free already a few days ago, <laughs> but that's just not how it works there. I mean, more <laughs> a macro, like a, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a strategic approach to this stage in the third week. Yeah. Um, very, very small chance of a difference between Carapaz and Vingegaard on this climb. It's not that long. It's not that steep. Yeah. Riders have got teammates. Kus and Wafanat will. We're looking better today, particularly Koos. Koos showed for the first time today his 2020 domestique legs for Jonas Wingergaard. But before we get to him in the, the finale of the last five Ks of this stage, mention our show partner, LaCole. They produce performance cycling apparel. They also offer crash replacement, I believe. So you can check their website out for more details of that. I found that out yesterday. They've got their new lightweight summer collection that they've launched before the Tour de France. And if you want to pick any of that up, to get 20% off, you can use code LRTDF20. That's all caps, LRTDF20, to get 20% off even discounted items. There's also the Lacole Strava Challenge during the tour. Lacole got a massive Strava club, uh, which, yeah, it's pretty fun. There's always deals on there, even outside of the Grand Tours. So thanks to Lacole for supporting the podcast. But, Benji, UAE called Ineos Bluff. Castroviejo is still there. <laughs> Micah comes to the front and he starts putting down some yeah. good pace. He's got the crucifix out on dangling around the neck um, and people are under a lot more pressure. Lutschenko's gone. Bill Bow struggling. Well, Pauls can see his polka dot jersey going up in flames. He'd got back on at the end of Gagan Hart's pool. He drops. And at this point, I'm like, Pogaccia all over. I don't. The camera's cut away, Benji. I don't know when it exactly happened, but Pagacha attacked again quite far out, like 3.5Ks. Again, not even a good place to attack. It was like not even a steep section or a hairpin. He just just like attacked when Mike flicked him, but yeah. didn't matter. 
and we had four guys. Mars today, Vingo, no, five guys, sorry. Mars, Carapaz, Koos, Vingegaard, and Pogacar. So five guys, Mars showing his third week legs that sometimes he's had in the previous couple of years. And uh, Koos actually being able to pull. And yeah, why did Koos, do you think, from like 3Ks to 1K, why did he just pull a soft pace instead of maybe even attacking himself? I think I saw quite some criticism on this from people that were saying, oh, Koos should try and just get away because he's got the benefit of that and so forth. I think that I disagreed with that because right here, you're literally trying to defend the position of Vingega. And you know that with 3K to go, if you control the tempo with Gus, you're making sure that it's harder for Carapaz to try and go for an attack somewhere. And if you can get Vingega to the line, then he's literally secure for a podium. If he doesn't crash or anything like that happens. So I think that's a priority here and that's what they were going to do. And let's be real, Pogacar is likely not even going to let Kuz go for this stage. <laughs> like, exactly. it's Pogacar. He's so greedy when it comes to winning everything. It's like a video game. It's achievement unlocked every single time he gets something, and <laughs> it's not going to stop. Like, yeah, crazy. Mars was also still there. In- incredible. Yeah, and Rick Mars. I mean, this is this, his performance today, Benji, is going to convince Malva to base their entire GC Grand Tour season and plans in 2022 around him once again, but forget <laughs> to do any uh, wind tunnel testing. But anyway, it is what it is. Great performance from him today and, and tactically good as well. Yeah. I, I actually think Mars often has pretty good tactics. Like O'Connor was pacing behind. Mars is two minutes behind him on GC with Kelderman on O'Connor's wheel, if I'm O'Connor and he did it eventually, just be like, Kelderman, you pace. Like, this ain't me. You Protect your fourth from Kelderman. And Koos and Yomavism were protecting Mingogol's second really well. And because of that, Koos pulls off. I think Pogaccio might have had a little dig again. Mars, Undertaker gift, comes back from the dead with a K to go <laughs> as those three start stalling as Koos pulls off because Mars did get distance off Koos pull. And so those three are stalling. And Mars attacks with like 800 meters to go, 700 meters to go. It was a really good place to attack because it's far yeah. enough out that the other two and second and third maybe like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to chase him back and get mugged by the other guys and lose 10 seconds. And maybe Pagacha looks at them. Well, he did. They all look at each other for a good five to 10 seconds, and Mars gets a nice little gap. But then as the camera changed angle, we saw a man in yellow get into the hoods out of the saddle and just absolutely drill it so poor marcy he tried good tactics better legs today he just got unlucky as benji said that pagacha is the super greedy and as he should be he had his team pace all day or a lot of the day mike could do a good pull and he destroys everyone pretty much a humiliation uh today on the yeah, den. true a bit, a bit unfortunate that in the final kilometer we saw about 400 meters of the actual final kilometer and about oh, yeah. 600 meters of a truck or a line of drugs by the side <laughs> of the road. That's a bit of a bummer because we didn't really see the uh, moment that Pogacar actually snapped away. Um, in all honesty, I feel like Pogacar is, I just said it, like he's hes greedy and you know it. Like when you see it, you know that he's greedy to win everything he can. And because of this, he also takes the polka dot jersey. He is once again in three jerseys of the Tour de France cruising towards Paris and yeah, it's kind of disappointing, you know, no progression since last year, no green jersey added to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Didn't even help his team. Well, yeah, oh. it, it did help them in the team's <laughs> classification. But yeah, here's the final stage result. The Gacha first, Carapaz paced Vingegaard, and then Vingegaard came around him to take another four bonus second. Oh, no, two bonus seconds on him, I think. Second and third, two seconds behind. Pagacha had a long post up. 
Mars fourth on 13 seconds. Dan Martin fifth on 24 seconds. Yeah. Just super weird. Um, Is that the <laughs> Burnley? <laughs> super weird result. Um, Ura, uh, EF didn't pay, didn't drop Igita back today. He came seventh. Um, don't know why, but probably didn't make a difference. O'Connor and Keldman came over the line together and Valverde came tenth. So, yeah, it was... It's pretty much a replay of yesterday with a little bit less excitement, if I'm honest. So here's the revised GC, which shouldn't change too much. Ron. Well, well, here's the revised GC, which has changed a lot. Um, (laughs) Uran drops from 4th to 10th, 16.25 back. He lost a lot of time today. He full cracked. uh, Yeah, really. Nine minutes. Nine minutes, geez. So, yeah, maybe no point dropping a Gita back, really. He's probably doing his own pace. Everyone else moves up one who is 4th to 10th. Uh, being a Connor Kelderman, Mars Luchenko, Martin, Bilbao, Uran. We'll talk about the TT and what we expect after tomorrow's stage. Uh, First yeah, of all, the Gacha KOM jersey again. Yeah, and like what I loved about the post-race interviews is some of those questions are like, oh, what the, what are you asking these people? Like, is one of his first questions is, are you worried about Vingegaard in the upcoming time trial? Mate, he is five minutes 45 behind. He's going to have to like ride without wheels to lose that time. Like, what a question is that? And Pogacar, also flustered by that question, is like, why should I be? Like, someone laughing while saying it. So I kind of enjoyed that that piece of like brutal honesty by, by Pogacar in the interview. And Fingergaard as well after the race uh, to the Danish media said that his legs weren't great today. <laughs> so imagine if his legs were actually great well no I think that's why Kuz paced because it's easier yep. to follow a steady tempo yep. than to respond to attacks um, yeah so yeah Jonas is crazy good <laughs> but yeah I don't think uh, Pogaccio should be too concerned about him uh, tomorrow's stage just mention it quickly it's a transition stage it's a lot like stage 19 last year 208 k's from Moren to Libon so cat four at the start, two k's five percent. Where a break should establish like some rolling terrain in the first fifty k's, then pretty flat until there's a few little climbs in the last fifty k's. I'm pretty set on break tomorrow because, well, actually, I thought I thought Cavendish was going to have a harder time of it the last two stages. I think Zakonic actually done it. He said he did it pretty easy relative to he thought it might be harder. Um, so I thought as well with the clerk being a bit banged up tomorrow might be difficult for De Koenig to control. I still think it might. So if I'm Sturven, Wartman, no Wartman, Sturven, the likes of those riders, Sechent, I would be trying to get tomorrow's break. And if they can get a strong one like the Pollitt day, they can win. Uh, hopefully they don't for the sake of my video. But no, I'll, um, I'll actually repeat what you said in the Tour de France preview at the start of this, uh, this entire adventure. The start of the stage has a small hill. We've got the intermediate sprint after a few kilometers, well, 30 kilometers, 40 kilometers, 50 kilometers. Bike exchange has to pace or make it very hard for Cavendish to get to that intermediate sprint and try and get as many points there. And from that point onwards, the Koenig is probably going to be happy that if they survive that. And as a consequence of that, the first portion of the race might be slightly more close than we are expecting, perhaps. I don't know, unless matches in the break, but... That won't be allowed, stuff like that. So I don't think it's going to be a very silent opening to the stage. And True. I think that we might see a ruler breakaway established after the intermediate yeah, sprint because right. they're going to be like, oh, we need to rest a bit. 
But then the question is going to be, is the cleric going to be able to still pace from that point onwards, stuff like that? Or will they say, Asgren, go ahead, go for the stage. Because if the sprinters aren't allowed to take points at the end of the stage, it also doesn't give any points to matches and such. So exactly, it's the same. So that all will come down to Champs-Élysées then. But then again, they probably want to get a victory. So it's more likely to win from a sprint than from a breakaway. I would give it to Asgren, honestly. I'd let him go tomorrow. I think it's safer for Green. As long as Matthews isn't in the break, then have Asgren there. But yeah, the intermediate sprint Benji pointed out, that should really dictate how this first hour and a half is raced at the end of a 1,500-meter, 3% pinch. That's real Matthews territory. So I'm secretly hopeful for tomorrow's stage. I'm prepared to be disappointed with these sort of transition (laughs) player stages, but I I kind of like those tactics. I want to say a bit of credit to Matthews for actually keeping this green jersey competition more alive than yeah. I thought it was. He's Same. He's been close. He's closer than I thought until today where they just couldn't drop Cav. If he took the full 20 on Cav today, Benji, it would have been super close tomorrow. He might have even been ahead after the IS and then if the break won tomorrow and Cav would have had to win on Champs. So, yeah, and, and yeah, I think on. we also kind of – look past the possibility of something bad happening still to Cav. We don't want that, but it's happened before. I think Kittel had a green jersey at some point in the latter part of a Tour de France and actually crashed out of the Tour, losing his green jersey idea. And stuff like that can always happen, and we don't hope it. We hope that it's going to be a sportive merit that actually leads to a, to the victory of, of the green jersey. And... For that, Matthews has to go for the intermediate sprint tomorrow. If the Koenig is, well, trying, then perhaps they try and force a ruler breakaway to get away before they get to the intermediate sprint. Because then they're literally kind of doing the opposite of what bike exchange might expect. If they, for example, before the intermediate sprint start, just force a ruler breakaway to get away. That way they've got too many riders up front and Bex has to literally chase them down but then you're putting Cavendish under pressure again. So I don't know. It's risky, huh? I, I'm not sure how they best take it on, actually. Yeah, it's tricky, especially with the clerk a little bit banged up. I'm, that's what I'm most in, interested to watch tomorrow. I think that's why the first hour and a half will be interesting to watch. Tanek Pogaccio has won six stages of the Tour de France, was looking like two general classifications, Liège, Torino, UAE Tour, California, three Vuelta stages. Olympics the Vuelta. Vuelta. Man. GC at Tour of Slovenia, and he's 22 years old, turning 23 in September. That's uh, crazy. And he's, he's down to do the Vuelta at the end of this year. After and the Olympics. The, and the Olympics. So he's pretty good. 28 wins already at 20, pro wins at 22 years old. pretty good bike rider. Old. You're right. Yeah. All honesty, great rider. <laughs> Before we sign off for today, and today pretty much was, yeah, a bit of a repeat of yesterday. I saw Micah saying in the press, um, yeah, oh, yesterday or the day before, no one can say that the UA team hasn't been super strong at this 2DF, TDF Benji. And that was after, I think, McNulty's pull yesterday and, and Micah's pull yesterday. I, I want to push back a little bit on that. I don't think, okay, they pulled a couple of times in the mountains in the third week. That doesn't mean that all the times Pagacha was closing gaps for an hour and a half when the breakaways were going at the start of ruler stages that... um. And UAE had Bjergen, Stekelangen in G3. That still happened. Uh, just no one took advantage of it. So uh, would you say UAE teams overperformed so far or just kind of 
been weak in the places you expected and maybe Michael was a little bit better than we expected. I think they overperformed compared to what I expected because I did not, ex- well, it depends on the rider. I expected McNulty to be better. I expected Micah to be worse. I expected Vegard Stekelenge and Bjerg to be more at the front when they start a climb and not at the back because then you're definitely dropping at the top of the climb. And in general, they are showing strength but that's also because the other teams are not at the level that they were supposed to be. You've got a Yumbo that is basically destroyed. They've got four riders left in this race. Like, yeah. know, if that yeah. team is complete, then that is the strongest team most likely in this race. And then you have Ineos, who still have the riders, but then make rather questionable decisions where Roe is then OTL'd after a stage and is completely lost from their team. So, yeah, it... You display strength through being strong, but also through having your competition weaker than expected. Yeah, exactly. Whenever, for the majority of this tour, when it was important moments, when another team actually did try and put pressure on Tadej Pogacar, the UAE guys disappeared. Uh, but it just didn't matter because Port pulled on Grand Bernard, <laughs> Grand Bernard and uh, Stage and Pogacar won by three minutes because he was too good. So, yeah, just... So it's still something to watch. I'll still be very keen to see in the off-season who UAE go after. Uh, George Bennett, apparently. Mark Soler for the for next year to restock for some domestics. And Ray Greipel, GC leader. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, uh, Dennis is someone I'd go after if I was them. But yeah, two are pretty much over. I think podium set, the uh Tony Pogaccio, Vingegaard, then Carapaz, unless something crazy happens tomorrow on the TT, but we don't expect it too much. And then uh, on to Champs-Élysées for Stage 21. So thanks. If you've enjoyed the uh, TDF recap so far on the podcast, make sure to give us a like down below on YouTube if that's what you're watching. Or subscribe. We're still trying to hit that 20K subscriber buffer. Uh, we're a bit, a bit off, but we, we think we can get there with your support. Or give us a review or a rating on podcast players. But until then, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.